0: Before we start, a warning. This story contains details about the death of a young child.
1: Do you come in here? Is it hard to come in here? I come in here every day. My clothes are in here.
0: I'm standing Um, with Doug Forbes in the small child's bedroom where he's gathered all of his daughter Roxy's most prized possessions.
1: These are all things that she loved and that had purpose and meaning in her life.
0: There's a brightly colored desk with the words, today is the day, carved into it. There's a photo of Roxy hugging her best friend. And there's a collection of children's books that Roxy loved.
1: She loved this one. She loved I Stink. It was about <laughs> a t- uh, trash... Yeah, that's, a little, that's more my genre. Also. Yeah, there you go. And we were just... Her laugh was infectious.
0: Doug pulls up a video to show me. It's Roxy on a swing set, laughing like crazy.
1: This was actually the last video I have of her. So I guess coming into her room reminds me of really good things, but it also reminds me how empty and quiet it is. That's what I mean. That's what I live in now.
0: It's been four years since six-year-old Roxy drowned at a summer camp in Los Angeles just feet away from four Red Cross-certified lifeguards. In that time, Doug has done everything he could to understand why his daughter died. What'd you find? Well, that's a loaded question. As Doug kept digging, he started to uncover a trail of failings and shortcuts that he says lead all the way up to one of the most beloved nonprofits in the country. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Monday, July 17th. I'm Douglas McMillan, a corporate accountability reporter at The Post. And for the past several weeks, I've been reporting on the Red Cross's lifeguard certification program. I've done interviews with former Red Cross employees and aquatic safety experts, reviewed documents from lawsuits against the Red Cross, and I've even flown across the country to knock on the doors of former Red Cross certified lifeguards. The iconic nonprofit certifies 60% of lifeguards in the country. It's widely viewed as the gold standard in water safety. But as part of this investigation, I met a father who is fighting to expose what he says is a huge gap in oversight at the Red Cross. And I talked to a former Red Cross employee about why he doesn't trust Red Cross lifeguards to keep his own kids safe. I asked Doug Forbes to bring me back to the day Roxy drowned. He and his wife, Elena, had just dropped their daughter off for her 10th day at Summer Kids Camp in L.A. when they got this voicemail from the camp director. Elena, it's Jamie from Summer Kids. Um, Please call me right away.
1: I remember when Elena heard the message and called back. I thought that Roxy might have had a
0: broken bone. Doug and Elena jumped in their car and sped toward their daughter, who was being transported to a nearby hospital.
1: I remember watching this all like it was in slow motion, blowing through stop signs and lights, and I don't know how we didn't crash the car.
0: Then, as they approached the hospital, Doug saw something that made his heart turn.
1: We saw a cavalcade of EMS people, fire, police. It must have been six vehicles, and it was just loud. The sirens were blaring. And Elena said to me, that's her. I know that's her.
0: Roxy died on June 29th, 2019. But even while she was still on life support, Doug got an email. It was from the camp, alerting parents that a camper had drowned, and that the camper was found floating in the pool only 10 to 15 seconds after a counselor had spoken to her.
1: And I thought to myself, how does one drown in 10 to 15 seconds? How do you die from drowning in 10 to 15 seconds? And I said, that's an impossibility, right? Unless her heart stopped.
0: After Roxy died, Doug spoke to the coroner. She said Roxy appeared to have been perfectly healthy up until the moment she drowned. Then the coroner told him something else. Roxy was probably submerged in the water for a matter of minutes and no more than 10 minutes. Then I said to myself, 10 minutes in water
1: with nobody recognizing her in a small pool at a camp purportedly guarded by four American Red Cross certified lifeguards, the alarm bells started ringing.
0: Doug became obsessed with figuring out how this could have happened.
1: I knew who Roxy's counselor was. I knew his name. And I said to myself, "Okay, so if he's a certified American Red Cross lifeguard, I must be able to find out where
0: his certification is. Doug pulled up the lifeguard's Red Cross credentials and zeroed in on the name of the man who had trained him, Andrew Cervantes. Then he looked up Andrew's certification, and right away, he could tell something was off.
1: I was in the bedroom, and I remember seeing this. And then I believe Elena, my wife, was home, and I said,
0: what do you see here? What does this look like to you? And we were both like, this is so strange. The document had Andrew's name on it twice. Once, it named Andrew as the trainee. But then, in the place where the name of his instructor should have been— was Andrew's name again, which made it look like Andrew had somehow certified himself.
1: And I said, that's weird. Can you self-certify? Can you literally test yourself and then just assign yourself as a lifeguard?
0: Red Cross rules say no, someone else must train you. You can't train yourself. And in the coming months, Doug would discover that Andrew had cut other corners too. The lifeguard training process is intentionally rigorous About 10 Americans die of drowning every day, and drowning is the leading cause of death for children ages 1 to 4. The presence of a well-trained lifeguard can mean the difference between life and death. But the young counselors who were guarding the pool the day that Roxy died were not well-trained. Andrew said in a deposition that he knew the lifeguarding course was supposed to be 27 hours, but he shortened it to just 8 hours. And then, Andrew failed to give them lifeguard tests, which the Red Cross requires. I wanted to try to understand why Andrew had done this. I tried calling him, I left him a voicemail, I reached out to him over Facebook, but he wasn't getting back to me. So I went to his house in Los Angeles. Andrew? Hey, remember me? I'm Doug. Andrew agreed to talk to me outside, we found some chairs, we sat down, and I felt like, finally, I would start to get some answers. Um, so I guess the, the main question that I want to ask you is, did, did you think that you were adequately preparing lifeguards for their jobs and to handle emergency situations? Yeah, I'm no, I don't feel comfortable answering, I mean, okay. talking about it. This happened several more times. I'd ask a question, Andrew would consider it in silence for a few seconds, and then... So, yeah, I don't think I want to participate in this. I just, yeah. So, I left. But this story isn't really about Andrew. It's about the Red Cross certification system that allowed Andrew and any of the other instructors who wanted to, to bend the rules and slip through the cracks. According to the organization's own records, Andrew Cervantes is just one of a number of instructors the Red Cross has revoked for violating the rules of its training program. I talked to former Red Cross employees who said some instructors shortened classes and others skipped over critical content or certified people in subjects they themselves had never been trained in. But former employees told me the Red Cross only learns about these cases after complaints or, in the case of Roxy... A tragedy. They don't proactively test or scrutinize most of their own lifeguard trainers. I reached out to the Red Cross about this, and they said they stand behind their training content and entrust licensed trainers to meet their standards. The Red Cross does not train lifeguards. A spokesperson wrote to me. She said, "Quote: The Red Cross issues nearly 6,000 lifeguard instructor certifications each year, but once certified." these instructors are not under the supervision of the Red Cross. Doug Forbes was shocked when he learned that it was even possible Andrew Cervantes had certified himself. He started reaching out to journalists, trying to find someone who would tell his story.
1: I was so frustrated that nobody wanted to tell the story, and I started to write my own article and just go my own road
0: and see what I could do. As part of a larger lawsuit... Doug claimed the Red Cross was partly responsible for Roxy's death, but a judge ruled that Forbes did not adequately allege the Red Cross committed fraud. But then, Doug got an email that changed everything. After the break, I talked to a former Red Cross insider who says the nonprofit has prioritized money over safety. We'll be right back. By April of this year, Doug had almost given up hope of holding the Red Cross accountable. But then he got this email. It was from John McCallum, the former director of quality assurance for the Red Cross. John told Doug that at the time of Roxy's death, the American Red Cross was fully aware of the holes and deficiencies in their certification programs and chose to do nothing about it. John knew about this, he said in the email, because he had spent years warning his bosses something like this could happen. It was what Doug had been waiting to hear for nearly four years.
1: I collapsed on the floor. I remember crying my eyes out. Like, You know, it was just like everything that I had alleged seemed to be coming true, and I didn't want it to be true.
0: Across the country in Kansas City, John McCallum was breathing a long-awaited sigh of relief. I remember there, sitting there, it was kind of later on at night, at least for me,
2: and I remember reading over it, reading over it, reading over it, and I, I must have read it about 50 times, like, really looking at the words I'd written down before I hit send. Um, but when I hit send, there was no regrets. There was like
0: It felt like I'd done the right thing. John had moved to the U.S. from Scotland in the early 2000s, and eventually he took a job at the Red Cross because he said he wanted to help people.
2: It seemed to be like a very meaningful um, organization and career that I was stepping into. And at first, it was. I know that I'm going to get painted in a way where it seems as if I don't like the organization. That couldn't be further from the truth. I actually think the Red Cross as an organization or are, are a phenomenal organization in the work that they do is very, very important.
0: But as John moved up the ranks at the Red Cross, he started to notice what he said were glaring holes in their certification system. The Red Cross's dirty little secret is what we kind of called it internally, uh, except it wasn't so much of a secret. The Red Cross is the largest lifeguard certifier in the country. But the thing is, the Red Cross isn't actually doing any of the training itself. Instead, it relies on a network of 6,000 independent instructors. They operate kind of like Uber drivers do hired as contractors. The Red Cross tells them how to teach and gives them training materials, but they aren't technically Red Cross employees. And the Red Cross mostly just trusts these third-party providers to adhere to their training curriculum. John calls it an honor system. During his early days at the Red Cross, John got permission from his bosses to test out this system by pretending to be an instructor. So as I'm learning uh,
2: what the system's able to do, I accidentally kind of trip on, uh, well, I just processed a record that I'm not actually certified for. That to me just blew me away because it it basically gives everyone the ability to process any course record that they're not certified to teach. And the dangers behind that, if somebody is a, a babysitting instructor and they process a lifeguard certificate, It just creates really, really dangerous situations for everyone involved.
0: And ultimately, he says, these kinds of loopholes were how Andrew Cervantes was able to issue himself certifications. That was happening all over the place. There's so many instructors out
2: there that are just flying under the radar. The the Red Cross, they they really don't know who the instructors are, and they have even less visibility into how the courses are actually being taught. And so what does that tell you? It tells me that there's about four and a half million certificates out there that the Red Cross have no idea about the quality standards of.
0: The first time John noticed this loophole, he says he reported it to his superiors right away. But they didn't seem concerned. They told John they already knew about the problem. So John just kept doing his job. And then in 2016, he was promoted. He was now director of quality assurance, which meant he was responsible for the team investigating complaints about bad training. He would raise some of the problems he saw, but in several cases, John said, he was met with resistance. John said he would identify a trainer who wasn't meeting the Red Cross standards and should be revoked, but then the Red Cross would say, we'd lose money if we lost that trainer. Profit has been the the number one driver. Are you telling me now that this was just about making money? It, it, It seems that way. In their response to me about this, The Red Cross said they investigate concerns about poor training and in some rare instances suspend or revoke an instructor if they're deviating from the curriculum. They declined to share data. They also said that John McCallum has made, quote, numerous mischaracterizations and distortions about the Red Cross since he was laid off, but they didn't specify what those were. They declined to comment on McCallum's claim that instructors have fraudulently certified themselves and others that said the Red Cross has upgraded its training software, and instructors cannot submit a course record if they are not certified to teach that particular course. In order to understand what was happening at the Red Cross in the years before Roxy's death, we have to back up a little bit. In 2008, the Red Cross had a problem. They were hemorrhaging money. So they brought in a new CEO, Gail McGovern, a former AT&T executive. They hoped she would be able to use her business savvy to make their operation more sustainable. And over the past 15 years, McGovern did improve their financial picture, in part by slashing staff and closing local chapters around the country.
2: So the internal joke is that it's the AT&T mafia that run
0: everything at Red Cross. The Red Cross told me they closed chapters to reduce duplication, but maintained a presence in every county in the U.S. Even with all these changes, John still believed he could make a difference from the inside. That is, until the summer of 2019, when he learned that Roxy Forbes had drowned under the watch of four Red Cross certified lifeguards.
2: Um, it's every parent's worst nightmare
0: that something like that happens, and here was a, it just happened. Months later, John was pulled into a meeting with Red Cross leadership. And the first question they asked him was, So how bad is it? And that's when I responded back to him, it's as bad as it gets.
2: He then asked me to expand on that. And I basically said to him, well, all the things that we knew could happen and we were talking about
0: did happen in this case. So, so you raised issues about these things in 2016 and Roxy Forbes died in 2019 three years later, what did the Red Cross actually do about those issues during those three years? Uh, Nothing. And, I mean, do you think that, so do you think that her death could have been prevented? I I don't
2: want to wade into that kind of side of things. Um, I, I do know that The situation, that situation happened because the Red Cross systems allowed it to happen.
0: After Roxy died, John stayed with the Red Cross for nearly four more years until February when he was laid off during another round of cuts. They offered me a 12-week
2: package where they would give me 12 weeks worth of wages to basically sign a non-disclosure as well, and I refused to sign that. And I basically said to them, well, this is what I'm going to do next.
0: Which was, go public with his story. Starting with that email to Roxy's dad, Doug Forbes.
2: For, for me, there's always been this sense of almost guilt. Um, Mr. Forbes lost everything from this. Um, I didn't. Um, I mean, when I was speaking to him, sorry, I'm kind of welling up right now um when i was speaking with um, um and i was welling up as he was talking um i think you could, could probably hear that in my voice um you, you kind of put yourself in his shoes and like if 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 that has happened to me my world would have just have crumbled down at that point if i take my kids to a public pool now i don't rely on the lifeguards i mean i am watching my kids every single minute that we are there
0: you, because of what you know about
2: Red Cross certifications? Exactly, yes. I, I can't be 100% confident that those lifeguards have been trained to standard because of what I know. I, I just can't trust who's trained them if they're being trained properly. Like once you know
0: something, it's really hard to unknow it. This is the thing that both John McCallum and Doug Forbes want people to take away from their stories. That drownings are preventable. But Doug says we shouldn't rely on lifeguards alone to stop them, even if the lifeguards are properly trained. People drown because they're people.
1: We're easily distractible. And we don't think things are going to go wrong. We have this kind of natural laissez-faire attitude about, oh, it'll be just fine. The pool is fun. And we're right there.
0: Doug Forbes has spent all of his waking hours for the past several years trying to prevent this from happening to anyone else. He lost his wife to cancer last year. And he's become even more singular in his focus since then. When he talks to other parents about keeping their kids safe, he sometimes gives them a laminated badge.
1: Have you ever seen these water watcher badges? So that's yours. So basically what this does is 88% of drownings, child drownings, happen with an adult nearby. So what this does is you wear this as you know a little lanyard around a pool or an open water front, and you rotate out every 30 minutes as an adult water watcher, and you all your job is to simply sit there and pay attention to children in the pool. Like that. And then you.
0: It says scan the water at all times, no distractions, texting, socializing, no alcohol while in charge. Nobody ever swims alone. Non-swimmers wear life jackets and the phone is only for emergencies, diving into shallow water is not allowed. It's good, it seems like common sense, but it's things that people don't always think in the moment,
1: right? Yeah, and I know that's not fun for you because it kind of impacts your ability to just chill. But that's being apparent. But that's being apparent. That's exactly right. There's no way around it.
0: Doug's lawsuit is still working its way through court. John McCallum provided a statement in that lawsuit in hopes that the judge will reconsider whether the Red Cross should be included in the case. The Red Cross has until July 19th to respond. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Ariel Plotnik. It was edited by Maggie Penman and was mixed by Sean Carter. Thanks to Evelyn LaRubia and Mackenzie Martin. I'm Douglas McMillan. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from the Washington Post.
1: Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards.